Happy Easter. The last time we gathered, it was Good Friday. And the mourning and the sorrow of Good Friday has turned into celebration and rejoicing because Christ has risen from the grave. We are no longer dead in our sin. We who have been saved by Christ have been forgiven. And because of Christ has risen, we have risen with Christ this morning. This is good news that we celebrate. Hey, we're going to start off with a, uh, a call to worship, a congregational reading. I'm going to read the first portion. And your response is, hallelujah, Christ is risen. So let's be reminded of this good truth this morning. This is good news. The grave is empty. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. This is good news. Jesus is alive. The law is fulfilled. The sting of death is no more. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. This is good news. The light of Christ shines in the darkness, and the darkness will never overcome it. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. And this is good news. Christ is our peace, our indestructible peace, our peace that will never end. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen. Let's sing together. Christ the Lord is risen today. Let's sing with hope and thanksgiving this morning. Let's sing to him. Christ the Lord is risen today. Not dead. 
we now? Church, you guys can be seated. We want to show you guys a short video that the kids ministry have put together for us. Once upon a time on the first Easter, the king came for his kingdom. Pilate summoned Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? My kingdom is not of this world. So you are a king then. And Jesus answered him. I was born for this. And I have come into the world for this. And testified to the truth. The pilot asked him, Where are you from? Jesus didn't talk to him. So Pilate said to him, You refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you? And the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you. Should I crucify your king? We had no king. He handed him over to be crucified and had him flogged. Soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head in a purple robe. Hail! And they were slapping his face. Crucify him! Crucify! Crucified, crucified. Pilate also had a sign made. And put it on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth. King of the Jews. Nail him to a cross. Nail him to the cross. Jesus knew that everything was finished. Finished! It is done. A new tomb was in the garden. Take some body. And place Jesus the first day of the week, Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark. He saw the tomb and it was empty. She told him, I've seen the Lord. He is risen. Because it was not possible for him to be held by death, God has raised Jesus. The king is alive. Though he was delivered up according to God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. You use lawless people to nail him to and to kill him. But God raised him up, ending the pains of death. King Jesus is alive! 
this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and King. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and set us free from our sins by his blood. And make us a kingdom. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Ugly. And every eye we will see him, even those who pierced him. I am Alpha and the Omega, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Who was, who is, who is to come. And they will all fall down. Before the one seated on the throne. My sister one. Who lives forever and ever. Um, cast their crown before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, do not weep. Look, the Lion of Judah. The root of David has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and open the seals. They are saying a new song. You are worthy because you were slaughtered. And you purchase people for God by your blood. From every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom. And they will reign on the earth. I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. And also the living creatures and the elders. Their number was countless. They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The first earth and the first heaven got passed away. It's a king's new kingdom. Look, I'm making everything new. Everything new. Look, God's dwelling with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear. Death will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. The glory of God illuminates it. The lamb is his light. The lamb is his temple. And there will no longer be any curse. The kings of the earth will bring their glory to him. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. No more night. Death will be no more. No more death. I am coming soon. Yes, I am coming soon. Coming soon. Really, really soon. Very soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's particularly appropriate that today, all days, we would uh, hear the wisdom of the world overcome out of truth from the mouths of children. And uh, thank you, kids, for doing that. Uh, this is a big day. Welcome, everyone, who are uh, coming to worship with us this morning at Christ Fellowship Charitable. It's our mission here to, do, to tell the story that the children just told everywhere, that we want to multiply uh, disciples, leaders, and churches so that Jesus is known and worshiped from here to the ends of the earth. 
Um, I'm Brandon, one of the pastors here, and on your seat this morning when you came in, members, non-members, people visiting, family from out of town, there's a connection card there, okay, it looks like this, right, has a, a QR code on it. I want you to hold on to those. We're going to use them at the uh, end of the service for everyone, right, not just for those who are visiting with us this morning. Um, as we continue in the service, Jesus from the cross in Matthew uh, quotes uh, Psalm 22:1. my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so as we pray together, I want you to hear how that psalm ends from verse 27 on all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. And they will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. And they will declare what he has done. Right? This has come true, and it will continue to come true. Let's pray together. Father, make it so. God, we serve a living Savior in Jesus Christ. And so we ask that you would make all the ends of the earth remember him and turn to him for salvation. God, we know that all the families of the earth will bow down before you, the one true and living God. And so we ask that you would be gracious and merciful to allow that to happen now as the dead are raised to life. God, we pray that you will preserve our faith as you have in the coming generations. Let us declare your righteousness, your victory, your kingship, your eternal rule. And may it be the aroma of life to all who hear the good news of the gospel across the whole world this Easter Sunday. Father, let us take heart because all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our brokenness was defeated forever in the death and resurrection of Christ. And it was finished upon that cross. So pray that you would strengthen us to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning as we continue to sing and to sit under the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray and for his name's sake, amen. Let's stand together. Church, let's sing about the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us.
that truth. Sing that again with me. Death has been defeated. Death was once my great opponent. Fear was had a hold on me. But the Son who died to save us knows that we would be free indeed. Yes, He knows that we would be free indeed. Free from work on the cross for us. Amen. Jesus has died on the cross for us, and he has risen from the grave. We celebrate that this morning. Our, our belief is not in vain because he has risen. So let's sing this morning, praise the king. Let's sing with thankfulness about his resurrection. Defeated, hallelujah. 
There is no one like you. You are the risen king, and no one will dethrone you. Today we celebrate your resurrection. You have given us life because of your death, and we stand forgiven because of the life you've given to us. So now, Lord, we pray, continue to encourage us. You are good. There's no one better than you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Please remain standing for the public reading of Scripture. He is risen. My name is Patrick. One of the places you might catch me serving is taking family meeting notes at our uh, church family meeting. Those happen once a month on Sunday evenings. The next one is May 7th. 
Let's read this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 15. Then Samuel said, Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's command and your words. Because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so that I can worship the Lord. Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return with you. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, friends, good morning. Go ahead and grab a copy of the Bible and open to 1 Samuel 15. Easter sermon from 1 Samuel. Let's see if we can do it. You guys ready? 1 Samuel 15. We'll begin looking in verse 1 here in a moment. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. And welcome if you're friends and family visiting with us. We're spending this year plowing through First and Second Samuel and the first part of First Kings, considering the rise and fall of kings. And so we're just going to keep plowing this morning. Easter Sunday in 1 Samuel 15. Um, it was always the dentist for me, and apologies if you're a dentist in the room. Um, you could uh, almost still hear the sounds of those maniacal instruments in the background when they would usher me out as a kid into the lobby. And in the lobby, there was a, a treasure chest. I don't know why they thought we were little pirates, but we were. And you would go out into the lobby, and uh, as, a, as appeasing you for the torture you just endured, you would get to pick a prize from the treasure chest, right? And they were all encased in these little plastic bubbles. I think you can still get them at Pizza Inn today. You know, you pay your quarter, and the plastic bubble drops, and inside you would find a, a, a plastic ring or a bouncy ball, that was my favorite, right? Or a slap bracelet, right? And you would leave the dentist overjoyed at the prize you just received. It incentivized, maybe you should come back in the next year or two to the dentist. Now, I didn't know it at the time at six, but it was all junk, like total junk. And you would think you would learn. It was just trinkets that were intended to make me feel better about myself in the moment, but provided no lasting value. Most of them broke before we got home that day. It was a chest of prizes, which actually did the opposite of what the dentist expected. It left me hating the dentist even more. The next time I would go back, I would endure the torture, and he would say, don't you want your prize? And I would say, no, I got the prize last time and it was flimsy. You hold the flimsy plastic ring 
up against, let's say, a real diamond engagement ring, and the differences would be obvious. One is flimsy, frail, fallible, and the other is pure, beautiful, such as our contrast this morning. I want to start in Matthew's gospel and work our way back to 1 Samuel to picture the, the, the contrast that we will see here. Considering the way this week started in Matthew's gospel as Jesus enters the holy city, we're introduced to Jesus. This is from Matthew 21, verse 5. After he uh, uh, prophetically announces that he's going to come and ride on the donkey into the city, tell the daughters of Zion, see your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, on the colt, on the foal of a donkey. Now, much more could be said about this idea, but I want you to notice that Jesus rides into town announcing himself as king. Fast forward to chapter 27. Jesus is before the governor at his mock trial. It's a show, sham at this point. And the governor asked Jesus, this is Matthew 27, verse 11, are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him, and Jesus said, you say so. Again, here, Jesus at his trial presents himself as a king. A bit later on, we read on Good Friday Remembrance, verse 32. So they were going out. They found a Cyrenian man named Simon, and they forced him to carry his cross. They came to the place called Golgotha, the place of the skull. They gave him wine mixed with gall to drink. When he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After crucifying him, they divided his clothes and cast lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him. And above his head was put a charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by were yelling insults, shaking their hands and saying, you would destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. And then notice the language here. He is the king of Israel? Let him come down from the cross. We'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he takes pleasure in him. For it said, I am the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were with him taunted him. This time, Jesus' kingship is encased with irony. It's those who crucify him and those who are crucified with him that announce that he is king. And perhaps the highlight of his kingship is what we celebrate this morning. The resurrection is the permanent enthronement of the true and rightful king. This is the acknowledgement that he is who he said he was. The one who is now actively ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father. Jesus' kingship is set in contrast to the kings of this world, the way a diamond engagement ring might be set in contrast to the flimsy rings from the dentist's office. It's no mistake that a major portion of our Old Testament is the story about the rise and fall of human kings. One after another, these kings appear on the stage of human history only to reveal themselves to be frauds, plastic trinkets akin to what you would find in the dentist's office. Such is the case with Saul's kingship. In the book of 1 Samuel, this is played out much like the ring that I'm describing. Saul's kingship consistently 
overpromises and underdelivers. Saul seemed like a fitting choice for the first king, but he's been a total letdown. He was the king that the unfaithful Israelites deserved. They'd proven faithless to the covenant, and now he has proven unfit for kingship. This is the conclusion of our passage from 1 Samuel 15 this morning. Look with me in the text, and rather than walking sequentially through, I want to highlight this threefold repetition that we see in the passage. The conclusion, the so what of our text this morning begins in verse 10. It's repeated later in verse 23, and even again down in verse 35. First in verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And the Lord said, I regret that I made Saul king. For he's turned away from following me and he's not carried out my instructions. So Samuel became angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Let's get down to verse 23. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord. This again is the Lord speaking through Samuel. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has, in contrast, rejected you as king. And then later in verse 35, even to his death, Samuel never saw Saul again. Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king, and therefore he rejected him as king. Notice the verse 23 language. It actually harkens back to Saul's uh, original appointment. Remember these words from 1 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. This is the people asking for the king. They say, give us a king to judge us. Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord said, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have what? They've rejected me as king. So the people had rejected the true and rightful king. God subsequently gives them a king, and now he rejects that king. The Israelites rejected God as king, so he gave them a slap bracelet substitute. And now the trinket is proving to be just that, frail, flimsy, and fallible. Three simple big ideas to consider this Easter. Big idea number one, people can't live without a king. Big idea number one, 1 Samuel 15, Easter Sunday reflections, idea number one, people can't live without a king. God gives the people a king here in 1 Samuel, and the process was not meant to convince Israel that they could live without a king, but rather to convince Israel that they needed to submit to the right king. So the outcome of this text, the outcome of the rise and fall of kings, is not meant to lead to the conclusion, we don't need a king but rather that we need to make sure we're submitting to the right king. To submit to the only true king. Notice the contrast again from chapter 8. You've rejected me as king, therefore I'm going to give you a king. And friends, the same can be said for you and I. You, me, we can't live without a king either. You might find yourself saying, I don't need a king. I do what I want, when I want, how I want it. The irony of what you have just said is a kingly declaration. What you are saying in that statement is, you rule and reign over your own life. 
You are setting yourself up as your very own King Saul. These are the only two options humans have. We either live in submission to the true and rightful king or in submission to flimsy substitutes, ourself as the chief example. Which leads to idea number two. Lesser kings always get exposed. People can't live without a king. You got two options. You're either the king of your own life or the true and rightful king is. Idea number two, lesser kings always get exposed. Case in point, we don't have time to consider all of this passage. I encourage you to read it uh, this afternoon. The way 1 Samuel 15 plays out. Samuel comes to Saul and he tells him, uh, God's seen the way these outside nations are plaguing Israel. God's intent on protecting his people from destruction that the nations uh, are bringing. So he tells Saul, go and fight against the people. Destroy them. And with them, uh, uh, defeat Establish peace and prosperity in the land. If you remember where we left off in chapter 14, Saul's been conscribing people into his army. He's built a massive group at this time. The Philistines have been chased out into the plains, but here they're going to battle against a different group, the Amalekites. This is a fringe minority group. Unlike the Philistine foes, this time the enemy should have been a piece of cake. All you had to do is go and trust God, fight, and God's going to prove himself strong. And when he does, just destroy everything. This is what kings are supposed to do. Remember 1 Samuel 8, 20? This perhaps could be the thesis on this entire series. Kings will judge us, they'll go out before us, and they'll fight our battles. This is what they were looking for the king to do. And God gives Saul, as it were, a softball pitch to hit out of the park to end. Just go defeat this little group. But this is not what Saul does. Verse 7. 1 Samuel 15, verse 7. Saul struck down the Amalekites all the way to Shur, which is next to Egypt. He captured King Agag of Amalek and alive, but he completely destroyed all the rest of the people with the sword. Saul and his troops spared Agag, the best of the sheep, the goats, and the cattle, and the choice animals, as well as the young rams and everything else, and the best of everything else. They were not willing to destroy them, but they did destroy all the worthless and unwanted things. How kind of them. Later, we read verse 15. The troops brought from the Amalekites, and they spared the best sheep, the best goats, the cattle, in order to offer a sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we destroyed. And then later in verse 21, the troops took sheep, goats, and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was set apart for destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord God. Now, since we've been studying Saul and we know how this narrative is playing out, we might assume them to be lying at this point. I'm going to set these apart so that I can offer them to the Lord. After all, there's not much indication from the story up to this point that they desire to offer genuine sacrifices to the Lord. But even without supplying a, a lesser motive here, we should note a simple fact. Saul did not submit to God's plan. He instead determined a plan for his own choosing, and he rationalized those decisions along the way, even spiritualizing here his disobedience. 
the Lord has told me to do something. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to flex my own kingly muscles and do what I want to. And I'm even going to, uh, to placate my conscience by spiritualizing this. We're going to offer this to the Lord. His error is exposed in verse 22. Passage Patrick read a moment ago. The Lord doesn't take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord. In other words, stop with all this. Submit to his kingly authority. Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination. And defiance is like wickedness and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Saul is a bad king. Because he's not submitted to God's plan, but instead he is intent on his own. And friends, isn't this what it means to be your own king as well? Kings make plans, they devise strategies, they execute their will. To be king means others live in submission to you, you don't submit to others. Those who live as their own kings rewrite the script of Proverbs 3. They trust in themselves with all their heart. They rely on their own understanding. In all their ways, they reject him, and he makes their paths crooked. King Saul is exposed as a fraud. He can't handle the weight of his own crown. And so too, friends, in God's kindness, your flimsy kingship gets exposed as well. You'll find, if you stop to consider it for just a moment, that you make a really flimsy king. Try as you might, you can't handle the weight of your own crown either. You will regret that you made yourself but not the true king. In the garden on the night he was betrayed, he instead humbled himself to his father's will. Though his sweat bled, he submitted. Unlike King Saul, he did not merely go most of the way to obedience, but he, John tells us, finished the work that God gave him to do. He perfectly, fully, and finally did what the blood of bulls and goats could never do. And he did so willingly. He was exposed, not as a flimsy and fake substitute, but exposed as the true king. Which leads to the final observation, verse 24 of our text. Saul answered Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the Lord's commands and your words. Because I was afraid of the people, I obeyed them. Now, therefore, please forgive my sin and return with me so that I can worship the Lord. Samuel replied to Saul, I will not return to you. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turned to go. Saul grabbed the corner of his robe and tore it. Hold that theme. We'll pick it up later in sermon series. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn your, the kingship of Israel away from you today and given it to a neighbor who's better than you. Furthermore, the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind. He's not a man who changes his mind. 
Saul said, I have sinned. Please honor me now before the elders of the people, before Israel. Come back to me so that I can worship the Lord your God. Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul bowed down to the Lord. Samuel said, bring me the king. And the king came in trembling, for he thought, certainly the bitterness of death has come. Samuel declared, as the sword has made women childless, so your mother will be childless among women. Then he hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord. Big idea number three. Only the true king is worthy of worship. You can't live without a king. Lesser kings are going to get exposed. Idea number three, there's only a true king, and that one is worthy of worship. In the passage that I just read, I think the youngins these days would call them burns. Like, uh, 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 there, there are four, at least four uh, burns that you can almost feel the audience cringing as they're being delivered. Notice them in the text. First, Saul has to acknowledge his sin before the Lord. Now, whether he's here just feeling a guilty conscience or genuinely acknowledging and repenting, the text says But acknowledging sin before a supreme authority is a ready admission that you are not supreme. Saul is not the exalted one or else he'd have no sin. And there would be no one above him or beyond him for him to repent to. Secondly, and this is a cringeable, Saul's kingdom is taken and given to, this text says, to a neighbor who's better than you. Right? Talk about a cringe factor. Where they're onlookers at this point, you feel like a comedian who's forgot his lines on the stage. You just feel, ugh, this is cringy. Who says this to the king? We're going to take your kingdom away and we're going to give it to another who's close to you but way better. Verse 29, third burn, Saul's path forward is fixed. This is God's intention and he's not going to change his mind or deviate from this. He's not going to devise a different plan. The Lord will see to it that Saul has no choice but submit to this path. And then lastly, Saul has to get somebody else to do his dirty work to end the text. Now, I'm imagining uh, a little game that you're going to play this afternoon. So Easter Sunday lunch, you get together with some friends and family that have perhaps gone to other churches for Easter Sunday, and you play uh, uh, our church is better than your church game, all right? So, uh, I actually saw it, I was at uh, Easley or somewhere back, Wahala. Uh, not your grandma's church was the, the sign out front. I always thought that was just uh, a corny joke, but there, actually there was a sign, not your grandma's church, all right? So um, you're playing that game over uh, lunch today, and uh, your uh, uncle says, well, our church had the pastor walk out of a life-size tomb, you know, to get on the stage to preach. And another says, our pastor preached in a full-size bunny costume this morning. And all of you are going to have the mic drop moment. You're going to win the battle hands down. Because I can guarantee you none of your friends or family are going to be able to compare to a sermon that ends with he hacked Agag to pieces in the presence (laughs) of the Lord. In fact, you might go the rest of your lives without ever hearing an Easter sermon that ends that way. Such an optimistic conclusion. What's the point? Like, what's the point is Samuel is doing Saul's dirty work. This is what Saul was supposed to do. He was instructed to eradicate evil in the land. 
but he let a little king live. So Samuel is going to have to now clean up that failure. What human king needs a flimsy priest here to do what he should have done himself? It's a dentist ring office comparison. You'd be a fool to submit to a king who continues to blow it, who has to confess to a higher authority, who isn't even the biggest and baddest in comparison to other people, and who, who can't do anything to change the future. Instead, you'd be rightfully asking, isn't there a better option than this? So too, friends, you would be a fool in the truest sense of the word to spend your whole life trusting in yourself as king. You know you. You know your hidden thoughts, your impure motives, your selfish actions. You know the skeletons in your own closet. You know how the weight of kingship feels when the crown is pressed on your head. You would be foolish to return time and time again to become a king who can't handle the weight. Instead, you would be wise to ask, is there a better option? And there is. This morning, we celebrate a king who cannot be killed. A king who is worthy of worship. The one who is pure and perfect. The one who doesn't change his mind. The one who is in charge of the future. If you know that you make a bad king, then why continue to submit your life, your hopes, your plans, and your future to you? Why do you continue to let the little king live? To borrow a picture, we would be wise to obliterate the little pseudo-kings in our life and enthrone the true and rightful king. Submitting ourselves to the one who is worthy, to the king who can actually handle the weight of your life. The Bible continually calls us to such submission. Paul, writing in Romans, is going to say, we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. Then again in Romans 14, 11, as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue confess to God. Bowing and confessing. These are acts that we do to kings, to those who are worthy of worship. And friends, to return to my, own, my first point, you will bow and confess to a king today. The question is, will it be the dentist ring flimsy substitute or the true and rightful king? And as a bit of warning, there is a day coming when we will all acknowledge his kingship. Right. The name of Jesus, every knee bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here the language of Christ speaks of an anointed king, a chosen ruler, a God-ordained Messiah. There is coming a day when Jesus' kingship will be clear to all. For now, it is revealed to some. Those who through faith see Jesus as the only worthy king 
and transfer the kingship of their life to him, submitting themselves to his rule and reign. It's taking off the crown of the little king and recognizing, enthroning the one who rightfully wears the crown. Jesus is king. The resurrection testifies to that reality. This is a fact. And as your life plays out, you will either acknowledge that reality or choose to live as if you're you're your own king. The good news is we can say with clarity today, Jesus is king. The thing we cannot say with clarity is the answer to the question, is Jesus your king? Is Jesus your king? Easter is the only story where, where the end is the beginning. The end is the beginning of a new life inaugurated by the true and rightful king who began a story with an empty tomb that will culminate. A king who began a story with an empty tomb that will culminate with a new heavens and new earth where righteousness, purity, joy, peace, and love will reign forever. Today, that transfer of kingship is what stands before us. Easter Sunday is a day in which an end can become a new beginning. To acknowledge Jesus as King and to place your faith in what Jesus has done, to pay the price that your sin of being a pseudo-king deserved, and to offer you forgiveness that you do not deserve. There are some who have yet to declare Jesus as king. And this morning, the beginning of your story is to do just that. There are others, the biblical way to declare Jesus as king is through baptism. To publicly associate yourself with the king who descended such that he might ascend. And then there's a third group of us. Those who need to continually reorient our lives to the fact that Jesus is king. This is, this is good news that, that might sound heavy. But what good news, friends, to think you don't have to bear the weight of your own life. You, you don't have to be your own king. You can give it to a God who can handle the weight of a crown. I want you uh, this morning in our time of reflection to take the card that you found in your seats or is in the seat backs in front of you. If everybody would grab that. Jesus' kingship is not merely something that a few of us respond to, but it's something that we, uh, we all respond to. Uh, there's space there for you to indicate a desire to place faith in the true and rightful king. 
Simply check that, that box there on the card. There's also a check box for those of you that say, yeah, he is king, but I've, I've not publicly declared that through believer's baptism. Getting ready to witness that in the gym here in just a minute, and we'd love to, to talk more. And then I invited everyone to take a card because during the two minutes of silent reflection that we're going to have, I want each of you, even those of you who are in Christ, to think, like, what would it look like for me to step into to a new Monday submitted to the true and rightful king? Like, like what, what needs to shift? What do I need to confess? And that space on that card is just space for you to jot a prayer, uh, to, to acknowledge Jesus as king, maybe to write something that you want to hold on to and remember from this morning's service. Following the service, I'm going to invite those of you that uh, indicated those first couple of check boxes to leave the cards in these black boxes there in the front and the back. You can just drop them in the slots there. This gives us an opportunity in a uh, non-emotionally manipulative way to follow up with you and to talk more about what salvation of Christ looks like. In addition, I've got two books as gifts for you. Uh, the first, these center books um, uh, on the wings are entitled Conversion. If you're here and you're an adult considering salvation through faith, uh, this book details the, the process that the Bible lays out for what it looks like for you to be saved and, secondarily, to know that you're saved. Uh, it's our gift to you. The ask is you only take it if you're actually going to read it and consider it. If you're here and you've got a family member or friend that you're going to share lunch with here in a few minutes, take one and uh, be a blessing to them. Secondly, the larger books that are whatever that green color is, uh, is a book for parents. If you're walking with kiddos uh, and seeking to help them understand the, the gospel, uh, we have a book here that's a gift for you to talk about the Easter story with them. This book is available here as well. Amber and the kids ministry team have books out in the lobby here that you could consider. What does it look like to share with my kids? Um, about the true and rightful king. As is our practice uh, around here, we're just going to take a couple of minutes to pray and reflect, use those cards to do so, and at the end of that time of silent reflection, uh, I'll lead us in a prayer, and then we'll stand and sing to the true king.
Our Father, we readily admit that the the instincts of our heart um, run to enthrone ourselves. That, That every morning we are tempted to put a crown on our own heads. And it is only by your Spirit's power that we take off our crowns and we acknowledge you as the true and rightful King. And this morning as we look into an empty tomb, we are reminded that that is, that is, a, that is a wise declaration. A king who cannot be killed is worthy of worship. And so might you grant us grace to renounce our own kingship and to enthrone you daily for the rest of our lives. Might you enliven our hearts to you as the true and rightful king. Humble us for our flimsy kingship and give us grace to worship you well. We ask for Christ's sake. Amen. Bit of a transition this morning. The choir is going to come back and lead us. You guys go ahead and come. And uh, congregation, if you'll stand, we're going to sing to the true and rightful king. Any of his words Who can teach 
can be seated. And I want to both uh, commend you and praise the Lord at the same time as we wrap up. As I prayed at the beginning of the service, I asked the Lord that he would strengthen us to worship. And you guys just sang like Jesus is the King. Praise God for that. That was, that was so good. Um, a few instructions for you as we make our way down to the gym, and um, then we'll, we'll benedict uh, first, if you are, uh, didn't know, we had plans today. We got plans today. We're going down to the gym. So if you're not familiar with the building, neither are we. You can just keep on going until you run out of hallways and you'll be at the gym. Okay? You'll smell it before you get there. You'll hear it. We're going to eat together. We're going to sing together. We're going to baptize to give uh, a testimony to the truth of what Matt preached this morning. Uh, if you are picking up kids, and if you brought kids and left them, you are picking up kids. I'm going to ask you to go out this door and line up on the hallway behind the room here so we can just clear through and head on down to the gym. If you're able and you don't need to pick up kids, I'm going to ask you to exit out the back and re-enter the building at the glass doors at the bottom of the ramp. If you need to make your way through and use the ramp, please do. We just want to keep this space clear as we're checking out children. Um, some time ago, at Pentecost, Peter uh, was preaching a sermon much like the one that we heard this morning, that Jesus of Nazareth was really the promised one that God had sent, that he uh, was killed for our sins, 
but that he didn't stay dead, but that God raised him to new life. And in so doing, uh, Peter says, let all the house of Israel, let everyone everywhere know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And so when the people heard that message, they were pierced to the heart. So again, if you heard that message this morning that Jesus is the true and better king, there are these resources for you the book on conversion and for, uh, for children. Uh, we want you to take those if you will read them. And then if you read them and you get benefit from them, we want you to pass them on to the next person, right? That, that we, uh, when we receive the gift of life, we want to be conduits of the gift of life. We want to share that story with others and pass it on to them. And so when they said, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is the good news for us this morning. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. All right, so that is extended to you this morning. You can uh, grab me, one of the other pastors, drop the card in the, the box, and we'll follow up. We want to help you with that. Let me pray for what we're doing this morning, and we will be dismissed. Father, every good and perfect gift comes down from you. So as we celebrate this morning, I pray that every blessing would remind us of the ultimate blessing we have in Christ, that every waffle, every cup of coffee, every ray of sunshine, every smile and song would remind us of your steadfast love and that we would offer up our gratitude and worship in our lives in return. Thank you for providing for us and for blessing us with those who have worked hard to make this time a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, you're dismissed.